2: This is one of the nerdiest episodes at the New Health Club show so far, but also one that's really necessary right now. In this episode, I'm talking about AI and psychedelics. Is there even a connection between these two? And if so, how does it look like? I think there is a pretty strong connection. Sam Altman, chief executive of OpenAI, is chairman of a startup called Journey Colab. That aims to tap into the promise that psychedelic drugs have shown in clinical trials and make them broadly available for people who suffer from mental health and drug use disorders. The man bringing artificial intelligence to the masses through the viral chatbot ChatGPT wants to revolutionize mental health care and addiction treatment with psychedelic drugs, writes the Washington Post. But there are more things to address than this, which I did with my great panel happening at Soul House Berlin a few weeks ago. My guests for a talk about the whole AI and psychedelic situation and how their connection could look like is the incredible AI expert Nicole Büttner, founder and CEO of Merantix Momentum. Merantix believes that to unlock the profound potentials of AI, a collaborative approach is needed. My second guest is the great Sergio Perez Rosal, MD, part of the Mind Foundation Berlin and the CEO and medical director of the Ovid Clinics in Berlin, an established clinic in Berlin that works with ketamine. So the three of us talk about if we need psychedelics to understand AI at all, or if this is just a crazy theory, and if AI will be a really productive drug developer. What does this mean and what does it mean for scientists? But there's more. Can AI give you a spiritual experience and will we need additional dimensions and tools to understand our future altogether, which AI and psychedelics could provide? God, as you see, there are so many questions which we have to address in the future, but we just try to tackle some of them and I hope you enjoy the show from our live podcast at House. Yeah, welcome everybody on this springy kind of rainy evening. We're super excited for this specific topic and I'm very happy that we have two great experts who will shortly introduce themselves. So just a couple of words about the new health club. We, We started as a podcast in 2019 about a psychedelic podcast and, um, just talking, like having scientists, um, founders, VCs, therapists talking about the new era of psychedelics that we're just experiencing. And uh, this whole podcast thing now turns also into a retreat business. So if you want to know more about this, we can talk to you about this later. Um, but tonight we're going to talk about psychedelics and AI with these fantastic people. And um, maybe you guys introduce yourselves. First, Nicole, will you start? For sure. Um, and thanks, Anne, for
0: inviting us here. It's, um, really great to see how you're giving this whole topic a very scientific and yet very human, <laughs> um, touch. Um, yeah. So I'm Nicole. I'm, um, basically an AI entrepreneur here in Berlin. I am a founder of, um, of a company called Mirantix Momentum that is, um, helping basically companies, government agencies to build AI solutions. Um, so our mission is to get more AI into the world. Um, and I'm also part of the investment committee and um, board of Marantics, which is an AI venture studio. So we're building new AI businesses and working with founders on new business models such as breast cancer screening, fertility, um, new materials, etc. And um, yeah, so I would say I'm a tech optimist and um yeah, very happy to be here and discuss the topic with you.
1: Yeah, thank you very much Ann, uh, for the invitation tonight. I'm um, very glad to be here. Name is Sergio. I'm a medical doctor. I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm a specialist in anesthesia, intensive care and emergencies. And I'm a, the executive and medical director of the Ovid Clinic in Berlin. That's the first clinic using psychedelics to treat mental health disorders. All legal and well, we are in Friedrichshain. I'm also part of the executive board of the MIND Foundation, which is the um, scientific organization, non-profit organization that organizes conferences, uh, does the studies. Uh, we are working right now, finishing up the phase two study with psilocybin, the episode study with a total of 144 patients in two sites, in Charité and Mannheim. And it's looking very promising. And secondly to that, I'm also a little bit of a geek uh, and I like to follow um, technology and the development and now
2: very interesting in the last couple of months what's happening in the AI world. So a great combination. So psychedelics, AI. Um, so, and I mean, I would like to have this conversation to, to be, I would like to be as fearless as possible because like, Nicole had another great talk recently and a lot of people had in the audience had actually questions around um how they would be replaced by AI, how this could look like. And of course, we can't really answer that question right now. So, but I think it's a, this should be a talk or also an opportunity to really look into, let's say, how this can really shape our future in a way that, of course, we can't answer 100% yet, but... Maybe coming from a perspective that is not driven by fear, which I always find more productive and more uh, kind of creative, actually. And I would like to start with a comment of, um, Yuval Harari. You guys who know him all, I think the big tech philosopher. And he says, like, social media was the first contact between AI and humanity and humanity lost. <laughs> but now we are years after his like idea how AI could obviously destroy kind of the world or what he's thinking about that. But I would like to start with a question for the two of you. So are our brains actually made for AI and are, or do our brains need psychedelics to understand AI? <laughs> yeah. Who goes first? I think it's a very interesting
1: angle that you're uh, talking about there. Uh, it's complementary, I think. And I wouldn't be that scared just yet about AI. I would be um, optimistic and looking how we can interact with these systems to make um, processes even more accessible to us. And whereas we could delegate some of the more, more intensive tasks to AI, we could liberate a lot of time to actually do whatever we want to do and therefore bring more wealth to the to the world back to your question is ai or are human brains created for ai i think since human brains created these, uh yeah machines that simulate or kind of interact with us in a way that they
0: seem conscious or intelligent i think it is they are compatible interesting question um so my impression was that we actually know so little about the human brain that maybe we can't answer the question yet. And um, hopefully AI will help us to understand the human brain even better. So maybe we can even reverse that and kind of think about how we can use the technology to understand patterns that we can now not yet properly sense or explain and kind of understand patterns and, and, and mechanisms a little bit better. That would be my hope. An analogy would be kind of what we're trying to do in outer space, right? We kind of don't understand a lot about what's going on in outer space. I think there's like very low single digit percentage of what we can actually explain. And we have theories about things, but actually
2: it's only theories and we keep creating better versions of them. And maybe it's similar with the brain. So let's jump right in, in terms of psychedelics. So at the moment, we have classic research companies who are researching psychedelics that we know, like MDMA, LSD, ketamine, psilocybin. So like we had this conversation earlier. So they research a compound for a certain mental health condition, like MDMA for depression um, or PTSD, uh, psilocybin for treatment-resistant depression. So now there are already companies working with AI, producing millions of new next-generation drugs that are actually tested how they fit to our receptors, which is already possible with your eyes. So the question would be, why even bother about LSD right now, about the classics, let's say? We are just
1: beginning to understand how classic psychedelics such as LSD, psilocybin, the active compound in magic mushrooms, and other atypical psychedelics such as ketamine or MDMA create this, um altered states of consciousness. Now, there is another level, what you were talking about, the companies creating new chemical entities that kind of dock on the same receptors in a more specific way with the attempt to reduce side effects, to control a little bit more of the time or the duration of the experience. And that's where classically this would have to go through a lot of experiments, one molecule after the next one for um scientists to actually discern the different nuances of uh, psychedelic experience be it mescaline 2C-B LSD and now with AI you just create a model of the receptor the serotonin receptor 5HT2A which is the one responsible for the psychedelic experience as far as we know and then you throw a lot of a lot of data and a lot of different Differently shaped molecules that still dock on it. And then you can measure hypothetically how that would interact and create an experience. That accelerates the process of discovery of a molecule and the costs by, just to say a name, 100,000 fold. And that could lead to us, understa- first of all, understanding better how these molecules create different altered states of consciousness, different psychedelic experiences, but also to create therapies that are more specific to one diagnose, that work more for a character, for a type of brain. Why we should care about LSD? Because we are still just at the very beginning of understanding that molecules that we have at hand right now.
0: I would maybe add just, um, I mean, what you're describing um, is one of the great superpowers of AI, right? So basically take a universe of possibilities that seems infinite. It's actually not infinite. it's It's a very, very large number. So if we recombine all the molecules basically we have in all the possible combinations, it will take longer than the sun burns and more molecules than we have in the universe. That's kind of the estimate. So we can't actually physically even do that in our lifetime reasonably. So that's one of the superpowers to basically be able to take this huge universe and find the most promising paths there that could be combinations that lead to psychedelics that dock on better, right? All this, you know, much better than me. So, and we use this in many different domains, right? Psychedelics, drug discovery, alternative materials, et cetera. So I think that's one of the, one of the aspects and the other one, why maybe, and I've never had a psychedelic experience, but maybe the, the other component is to tie this to the effect. So one thing is creating a compound, but then the other one would be to actually observe the effect and understand the effect in the real world. And from what I understand about the space, there's probably very little compared to the universe of people and maybe also other other um, treatments. Probably the documentation of these effects is still very limited, right, in terms of I don't know. I can imagine like diabetes is much better and all the medication developed for this is much better documented, for example, than psychedelics and the effects, just because it has been a strand of science that is not so, it's not so mainstream. It was kind of, from what I read, <laughs> had a hype and then a long winter like AI. <laughs> and, um, so I would say you also need a period, um, to observe the actual effects of different substances. Um, yeah. And then. I mean basically I mean from a from an AI perspective, you would want to have a lot of people <laughs> trying this to to get the data right that's to get the gold.
1: <laughs> yeah, maybe interesting that um I agree I agree the other part one one is uh, development of new drugs that work better and the other part is uh, how can we use AI to uh, make advances in research and as you say, with diabetes, you can measure how much a quantity of insulin changes your blood sugar levels. With a psychedelic experience, it's not that quantifiable, right? So you have the challenge of perspective. The first-person perspective, which is what psychology, psychiatry, psychotherapy tries to address and interact with that prompt machine that is giving you um, explanations of what they experience And the other part is the neuroscientific part of what do we understand of brain regions lighting up in our scans and how do they correlate? Yeah. Bringing those two sides of the coin together with AI. I think that's uh, one of the, one of the major steps that we could do. And, um, there's, there's one thing called qualitative research. Where people just write down everything that they experience, that they have um, changed in, in their uh, states of consciousness through a psychedelic experience. And then run it through a system that can highlight which words come again and again when we're talking about an experience facilitated by psilocybin. How is this different from an experience that is um, induced by LSD? And yeah, AI
0: could be do wonders in that uh, part. Sorry, we're like kind of going down a rabbit no, hole here, ahead. but but um, I think it's a really interesting point because um, you could have one point of view where you say this experience, this altered state of mind is basically between you and your soul and your God. And it's something that is not actually, is not possible to observe from the outside. I don't know, <laughs> never been there. Or you could say, and, and then basically no matter how good sensors we build, um, we would never be able to touch what happens on those trips or in those experiences. And um, the second perspective would be, we just cannot measure it. We don't have the right sensor, like a microphone or an infrared or whatever, you know, EEG, all these kind of things. And with time, when we develop better sensors, we will actually be able to have much more direct access to what's actually going on. And if that is the case, let's say we think that we develop better sensors and we'll be able to... Um, observe much better firsthand, right? Not through like a stille post, I don't know what that's English. So you have an experience, right? And that's how I imagine, like a dream or something. And then I try to remember what it is, and I try to tell it to you, <laughs> or I write it down. And that's all has already so many limitations in it. Just to create what is the actual effect of it. So as a data person, as an eye person, I always want a direct sensor, if possible, sort of raw data. <laughs> And so if we go down that rabbit hole, then it would mean, wow, then at some point, maybe you could really gain substantial,
2: deeper knowledge of what's going on. Well, that's like um, one of the biggest, not challenges, but topics, even also in clinical trials, right? That um you come out of the trip and then you would have to basically um tell the psychiatrist or the therapist what you've seen. And then you would say, oh, I've seen an elephant walking and it could be like, Five million variations of this elephant walking. And then you try to get into integration. Like, wh- how was your feeling about it? But it's still, even then, if you come back from a retreat and would talk to your friends, um, what you've seen and they're like, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> this trip, I mean, okay. Yeah. It's like you told me what you've seen, but still you have a hard time translating really what it did to you. So. And how is the how do you deal with that, for example, in in the current research? Because you you guys are also doing this first really big psilocybin study at Charité, so this must be also a topic there, I guess, right? I mean,
1: so yeah, in terms of psychedelic experiences, there's this term called the ineffability of the experience, an experience that is that is ineffable, basically describes something that you cannot put into words. So that's the first problem. How do you put something that is ineffable in a way that someone will understand and try to grasp what it meant to you? Because if you are seeing an elephant, it might not mean anything to me, but it means a lot of things to you, right? Um... So it's about also the relevance of your associations in, 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 your brain, how, how your childhood was formed and how this, this, um, biographic content that might come up in a psychedelic experience has a relevance for the interaction with a psychiatrist, with a psychotherapist. And it is, it is very difficult. It's very difficult. You can, you can ask someone that is a writer and they will Paint you a beautiful picture of what the uh, their psychedelic experience was, but not every patient is a writer, and then you have to try to find their language and go to the level of interaction that extracts something of worth, of value. And we're talking now about patients trying to get better, right? So that that's the main aim, and what I'm talking about, yeah. Psychedelic experiences are ineffable, and sometimes the sensors are great. Sometimes, yeah, we see nice uh, brain scans and lights popping up, and say, "Well, that's the visual center, and this is uh, the motor center." But the interpretation of this, we are not
2: not here, yet there. So, how could AI then, for example, like translate a mystical experience to us, which we don't understand?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, first of all, right. I'm talking again about track one and track two. Maybe it's not possible at all because we cannot observe it. And that's also the limitation of AI, right? We need data. All these great models that you're seeing out there right now, they're trained on huge amounts of data. And that's why for fields where we don't have this data, it's, it's so much harder. And it's always, you can think about it like it's a, it's a representation of reality and it's a simplification of reality in, in, In most sense of the word. So basically it's like a shadow of you, right? And it's maybe more than two dimensionals, maybe multidimensional, but it's not exactly you. That's why I'm talking about these senses. It's not so romantic, right? (laughs) But at some point, oh, you get more, more than the shadow. You also get some color or like it's a proper image. But it's still not seeing what, what's in your thoughts, et cetera. So it's always this data problem. And that's why these experiences, when you talk about internal experiences, we're so limited ourselves to kind of document what it is that it's super, super hard. And, but if we now think about, for example, if you think about how many child, I, 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 let me talk about my own age. (laughs) If I think about how many photos there exist of my childhood versus my one year old son, (laughs) right? Like I'm already documenting his life much differently and much denser for that is observable to outsiders than my childhood was. And if we just project this into the future about how many data points there will be about an individual life and about your experiences like 10 years from now, I'm not sure we can imagine this. Imagine you get sensors, some sort of implants about not only your location, but who you're in proximity with, what you're reading, all these kind of things that all adds up to, then creating a lot of data points that will also create a lot of context. So then maybe a model can understand why you think something different about an elephant than me, just because there's much more data. I've been to India 17 times and maybe you haven't, whatever. But you've been to a Garten, you know, or, or I don't know, you have a pillow that has an elephant and you see it every night. What, I, you know? <laughs> so all of this will all of, all of a sudden become observable and we can introduce this into an actual model. And then the model can do something with it and create context. So it's it's going down a rabbit hole, right? But it's something I think we can already imagine happening if we just think about what the progress has been in the last 20 years. I don't remember how old I am. Um, <laughs> and project this into the future. So I, I think the possibilities to come back to your question will be quite quite tremendous at some point.
1: That brings to mind this, this uh, term called qualia, And Qualia is um, easiest explained as how can you be sure that when you say I see a color and this is red, we are seeing and interpreting the same way. How we see this thing that we agree to call a, a certain way and that we physically know that there's a certain wavelength uh, that is activating certain receptors that go to our neurons and then lights up this area. But who, who can ensure that my red is the same as yours? And if that starts with colors, bring a lot of complexity into the system. And um, there's, there's one saying that says reality is just an hallucination that we, just, uh, we all agree upon.
0: Yeah. And, 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 and again, so I, I think, and you might be totally right. Maybe this is a riddle we cannot solve because there won't be a sensor, right? I'm coming back to this unromantic picture (laughs) that we can observe this with, and it will be between me and my God and my soul, right? And this will be a very metaphysical thing that we cannot write down. And maybe that's also part of life. And that's maybe also how it's supposed to be, right? No judgment call on this, but if
2: we can, then we will, <laughs> right? We will exploit this data at some point. So one thing that's really interesting is that in terms of psychedelics and AI, there's often suddenly vocabulary around, we, we almost want to say like a spiritual, almost religious experience. And even German Zeitung was quoting Kevin Rose, the, the podcaster, saying that he explained that some people who already got in touch with ChatGPT4 talked about it as if they have seen God. I mean, this is kind of really something very special that is coming towards us and hasn't been there since probably Apple or Steve Jobs, I guess, kind of around this time when you had like a spiritual brand around a computer. But don't we all like start to think that we need extra dimensions to understand the world in terms of in our own brain, but also in our technology? Isn't it really that we need more tools to really understand what is for, for, the next 10, 15 years to, to work around them? I mean, it's a serious question. It's not even like, Oh, let's step away from technology and just, you know, move to the countryside because it, there's obviously new chal- there are new challenges and new, um, kind of ideas around what we have to put out there. So what do you guys think about that?
0: Yeah, I would say that um that basically you have um I mean you could you could almost say maybe that's a, that's a, that's a something that AI and psychedelics have in common. Right? So with AI we try to find patterns. So we observe a lot of data and we try to find connections and data. So algor- algorithms and this is goes back to the drug discovery example can be super powerful at unlocking and finding these connections that would just take us a lot of iterations to do. So, for example, when you see these AlphaGo, right, everybody knows these AlphaGo algorithms, where basically it's this, you have a game, it has a very simple rule, and the AI agent can basically learn this in like one day much better than humans. And that's basically just because it can do a lot of iterations very fast. We would probably also be, we learn actually faster, I would say, than AI, (laughs) because it takes us maybe, I don't know, often can you play it? Maybe 10,000 iterations to learn the game super well. And it would take like 3 million, 7 million, 15 million iterations for any AI to learn it. So, but it's very powerful with a lot of data to get these patterns. And maybe that's similar, right? I mean, maybe, I don't know if you, I'm curious about psychedelics. So I'm, you know, maybe you can uncover connections and patterns that are there that you cannot uncover when you don't have this tool. So that's kind of maybe a commonality, how we can see it as a tool. And yes, the world is complex and it's becoming more and more complex. So I think we're all craving for this layer of understanding and meaning and understanding what's going, what's going on within ourselves and out there. So I can, I can totally see that. And I think, um, this godlike aspect that you mentioned, GPT four exactly. And we're already speculating about GPT five. I was just looking at a deck today. Um, and, and I think, I mean, when we're, we already see, right. The the whole question is how do we define intelligence? And, um, is it me playing better chess or alpha go or understanding a book or finding context? And now we're, we're kind of seeing AI has already conquered this narrow aspects, right? It can play chess better. It can detect, um, images better than human. It can, it can do certain things just better than, than humans already in a very narrow path. And now, We combine this with this trend of ChatGPT that everybody's showing us, oh, now it understands context. So we have one element, it's already better on single tasks. Now it's starting to understand context more, right? So all of human history, all of my history, all of the internet, let's put it this way. And now we think, okay, what if data points get better and denser around individuals around, right? So you can kind of see and look at certain dots and then, yeah, you you can get to a point where you think, yeah, it could... It could get superhuman, and um, we're looking. We're looking um, at that at that at that trajectory right now, for sure. Hmm. Going back to
1: the similarities between the reiterations, I think when our our carbon-based system that is is brand new, learning to walk is a re- reiteration and reiteration, and th- this goes about. Almost everything. I have a one, almost two year old uh, at home and I see how he fails and he tries again and then he wants to do it again and he wants to do it again. And that's what AI does effortlessly forever. And we become a little bit more rigid because we tend to stick to what works for us, tend to stick to create patterns, habits, ways of thinking that have brought us where we are right now. And can't be that bad if this system is still alive. But sometimes that leads to uh, unhealthy patterns of referring to yourself, talking to yourself. How many times do I have to remind myself every day that I would never talk in the way that I sometimes talk with myself to anyone else? Yeah. Being kind to oneself. And that's where psychedelics play a big role in increasing neuroplasticity, uh, synaptoneogenesis, uh, uh, genesis, increasing the ability of neurons to create new patterns, to break that rigidity and create new habits. This window of opportunity has to be guided, shaped for it to, to have a longer lasting effect than what it does just while you are during the experience. And that's where the psychotherapeutic aspect comes into. Because the substances alone won't change anything. It's a, a catalyst. The psychedelics are catalysts of transformation. Yeah. You can use the window of opportunity and create new ways of thinking, stimulate though that creativity or the window closes. Yeah. And if psychedelics or drugs alone would induce the change, I don't think I would have a job here in Berlin. <laughs>
2: Okay. I mean, I had this, I remember reading this article, I think in the pandemic about uh, the first AI therapist. I think Elsa or Elisa was the name. Um, that could detect depression in a patient much more precise than a human therapist because the patient would eventually say to the therapist, no, no, it's totally cool. I'm fine. And then jump out of the window the next day, which I actually heard a couple of times that people who were refusing to accept maybe that oppression played in, for, in front of a therapist, something like that. And then in front of AI, they couldn't because AI would detect their wording, like, you know, certain symbols or behavioral models that would say, well, no, this person is depressed. But then you, we would think like, but what about the human factor of a therapist? So is this going to be a conflict in in the future that we have maybe precise AI therapists versus empathic therapists? I've seen very interesting models and very interesting
1: programs that can detect changes in your voice tonality, in the choice of your words, all the way through just talking to a microphone and then getting a reading of how you're feeling today compared to yesterday or last week and i'm like huh i thought i could do that better than a machine and it's like well where where is this all going and i think this is going to to help us detect such cases as you were saying that uh, we as humans with our human flaws fail to detect um i'm not not really worried that it will substitute a therapist because it can detect a lot of things very well and it can compute a lot of data in a way that it gives you a diagnosis or yeah, a, a, a state of, of your emotions. But does it really understand or can it be empathic only because it can
0: process data? I don't know that. Maybe not yet. Yeah, I think in this example, I would also for now, but who knows? (laughs) I would also think that probably I would not be worried that the therapist gets, um, gets replaced by the algorithm, but maybe the therapist gets replaced by another therapist
2: who uses an algorithm,
0: (laughs) right? For better diagnostics, for
2: example. Okay, good. (laughs) Okay. Thank you. Um, I read this article. I, I pulled out. But when, when I researched AI psychedelics, some very interesting medium article came up about, especially our question that we had talked about, like how religious a machine can be by themselves without a, a human interaction. So almost like a machine is becoming a new human being in a way. So, and I really would like to read this because I want you guys to, to really say something about this, because I think it, puts the problem in in very three interesting definitions. So first, can a machine have a private experience that is important to the machine, but that is reluctant to talk about with others, aka human beings? Second, could a machine have a private experience of the divine, which we also wouldn't know from that machine? Third, could that experience make a machine into something like a prophet? I mean, it's kind of a mix of a, uh, a horror scenario and something that makes total sense. So is this something you think that will go in this direction or is this just like a human anxiety fantasy? So personally, I don't think that. Philosophically, I would not agree.
0: I think there is something metaphysical that, like you call it the divine or you, I don't know, you call it something that we can maybe not explain yet. And I think that will, that, that is kind of also makes us human. And that is, I mean, we're more than, my my conviction is we're more than a sort of uh, body and a computer. Physical body. Yeah. <laughs> right? There's yeah. something metaphysical that, I don't know, some people call it the soul or whatever you want to call it. Um, and I think that's something that a machine doesn't have. And I would say that uh, my hypothesis would be that for um, at least the last two of these points, you would probably need something like a soul to, yeah, to develop this, to kind of tap into this universal energy Um, that's there. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah.
1: (laughs) A shared hallucination. Um, I, I think about that and, and, and what would it mean for a machine to have a religion? Um, maybe broader speaking, how do we define spirituality? Um, for me, and this is my personal definition is, um, how do I relate to something that is bigger than myself? And that will transcend my existence. Yeah, that m- gives some kind of meaning to um, suffering, to waking up, to doing things. And going back to this this idea that there's there's something that a machine might, if I understood it correctly, a machine might think, but won't feel the necessity to share. Yeah, that's a very interesting thought experiment. Yeah. <laughs>
2: And also that it would eventually have better ideas than humans, not only dangerous ideas, unless it's in the hands of some Bond villain or something. But, <laughs> but I mean, it is, it makes more and more sense, right? And bringing it back quickly, maybe to, to psychedelics. It's like, I mean, in these experiences, a lot of people kind of reconnect with their body, kind of, they become more grounded. They kind of try to understand what their body is telling them, which they can't do before. But at the same time, they also encounter a completely new spirituality that they didn't even have like in church or like in their religion, their religious practices. So um, I think it's an interesting equal thing that is happening that we, let's say if you, and we had this conversation before, if, if you twice a year, you engage in a psychedelic experience, which means your brain will, you do this for let's say five years, your brain will be a different one than it is now. So if you, let's say twice a year, you go on a truffle trip. So do you think we are actually craving this kind of change in ourselves? How is your experience in in, in that clinic? I mean, you have like a daily encounter with patients. Would they actually tell you, oh, I want to be, I want to have a different persona. I want to have a different brain. I don't want to be this person anymore. Because if you go on social media, coming back to It seems like you should be a different person anyway. Like after five minutes of scrolling, doom scrolling, you 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 under the impression you shouldn't be yourself. So, but but I wonder, like after a psychedelic experience, do people actually tell you as a therapist, "Oh, I should be somebody else, or I want to be somebody else"?
1: I think after a lot of um, big or meaningful experiences, we we are a different self and we do we have a self that's another question right how do we define uh our self yeah and some have spiritual uh, spiritual experiences some are craving to find that connection and some others just think that there's there's this drug that's going to do something with their brain that's going to lead to symptom reduction and yeah it varies a lot, and we try to guide the the patients through this this openness, this curiosity to find out what is in there and how this relates to their picture of their self. Yeah, I think not only humans, but uh, there's a lot of animals that look at ways on how to alter their consciousness. I mean, dolphins play with fish to to exert the the the, the venom. And get high a psychedelic
2: on that fish. With a psychedelic Is fish. Is that what,
1: really? Yeah. Wow. I okay. mean, apes get drunk. Um, it's it's. I think in in the nature of uh, living things to alter consciousness and find
2: meaning. So and, and how how does how does how do you think or how would you explain what AI really will contribute to to a really one of the biggest shifts that we are experiencing in in pretty much every part of our lives right now.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think what we're seeing right now is, um, is, is that it's cutting through a lot of, um, noise also for us, right? It's sometimes crazy noise if you're saying social media or other things, but it can also cut through a lot of things, right? A lot of people have discovered ChatGPT now, um, which we have been Already working with, uh, with different user interfaces for like three years. So we, we know foundation models already a long time, but now it's in the wider public and everybody has access to it. Um, and it, it, it shows that you can curate data very effectively, right? In this universe of complex, every day there's a new, new flow. You can kind of curate things beautifully, which is interesting. <laughs> it's useful in many cases. It can also have obviously fallbacks depending on who programs this curation models right who whose subconscious biases go in there is it then factually correct all these kind of things are obviously um, topics but i think it can help us explain the world better and it can help us hopefully also solve some of the most pressing issues faster than we would we would be able to so that's that's what, that's what makes me optimistic about the jet technology and why I keep working on it. If I were convinced that we're gonna destroy the whole planet with it, I mean, probably not devote my whole active working life to it. Um but you know, you can also use it for ugly, weird stuff, right? I mean when you think about warfare and how that will evolve, it you know, it, it can become very scary like nuclear technology, like other technologies. Um so yeah.
1: And I see there another um a similarity to the psychedelic field, but because some would call them technologies of consciousness and how you, by administering a substance, you change the uh, vulnerability, the susceptibility to other um ideas in people. i'm I don't believe in that phrase "trust the medicine, because these are, again, vectors of culture, vectors of ideas. You will most probably, be susceptible to ideas of the group that you are around while you are on a psychedelic stage. And that group might have your best interests uh, in 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 their heads or they might just be trying to influence you. And it's a tool and tools can be used for good as they can be used for bad things.
2: So is it also because it's an interesting thing you, you bring that up because if you're in a retreat group where you meet before and you have a conversation. And I had this experience once that it was actually a person who was a friend of mine, but I felt like in the experience, the actual feelings were highlighted and it was not a very empathic and friendly feeling suddenly. And I had the feeling it was influencing my psychedelic experience. So is this something that can actually happen? That you, you know what I mean? That it's basically you, you have like a pretend, you pretend to have like a nice relationship, but then suddenly in the trip or in the retreat, basically the, this is no longer because you're unconscious, you're not conscious, pretending you like each other. So, but it kind of goes away and let's say the, the actual authentic feeling comes to the forefront is this something that is possible actually
1: of course that can happen once the social norms are the diluted in a in a group setting where everybody is in an altered state absolutely but on the other side, I will always recommend to take everything that you experience in a psychedelic state with a grain or a bucket of salt because it's not everything true right there are cases of people that come out of a, an experience and say, now I know this repressed memory has come back and this X, Y uh, family member did this or this to me, which can potentially destroy whole families without it necessarily being true. So
2: always be critical, not only of others, but also to yourself. Very good advice. So. Uh Thank you for being here again. Like hang out a little bit and ask our fantastic um, guys here whatever you want to know. Yeah, so thank you for being here. I know it was a very specific talk today, but uh, I think some a talk that is coming. All these questions are coming towards us right now. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the New Health Club Show, and please follow us on Twitter. Instagram, Facebook, or if you would like to sign up for a newsletter, please go to www.thenewhealthclub.de and subscribe to the newsletter. Again, please follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Clubhouse, of course, there's also a new health club now, or even better, sign up to our newsletter on thenewhealthclub.de. I talk to you very soon.